And for another episode of the Chaldean Priest Show, I am your host, Father Daniel Shaba, Chaldean Catholic priest from San Diego, and this is another episode. Let's get started. I want to begin this episode actually by remembering all of the victims in Boulder, Colorado, the victims of a vicious person who murdered 10 people, one of them being an officer who was the first responder at the scene. We pray for them and pray for all of their families and everyone affected and for justice to be done and for comfort for anyone affected by this awful tragedy. So for today's topic, it's going to be, I mean, you would probably think this is, this would be a topic for my Lion's Den segment, but I'm just going to make it the whole episode because it deserves its own episode. And there's a lot of different variables at play that could be pretty sticky, pretty controversial. And that's why I'm dedicating this entire episode for it. And what the topic is, is scandal in the church. And I'm only going to be using one primary text that I'm going to be referring to as I go through the nature of scandal in the church, what to make out of it, and how to deal with it, and how to stay faithful to the church, knowing that there is this ugly side to it. And that text is, no surprise, from the Chaldean liturgy. It is a prayer dedicated to the sin of Peter when he denied Christ. And this is written by a Chaldean church father, and it's written in such a genius way where you're able to chant it in this very solemn uh, chant during Good Friday. And it's us remembering, like I said, the sin of Peter denying Christ three times. And it goes through the perspective of Peter. So we're basically walking with Peter and what's really happening with him as he's denying Christ. And the reason why I'm using this as a primary text is obviously Peter was the first pontiff and he sinned against Christ. And I think this is our starting point to understanding how to deal with church scandal, because this was a scandalous thing, right? Christ built his church on Peter, Peter the rock, and Peter goes and denies him three times in public. Now, we can ask ourselves what the apostles were thinking when they saw or even heard about Peter denying Christ three times, what other people were thinking, maybe the lady what other people who were disciples of Christ were thinking when they saw Peter denying Christ three times and what Christ saw in that and how to interpret what Christ saw in Peter's denial in him. So in any case, this hymn begins with, Have pity on me, pitying one. Have pity on me, merciful one. Then it continues. Brethren, I look into the scriptures and I'm filled with sadness. When our Savior was suffering, Kepa went in agony, firstly because they had crucified his master, but also because he had denied him. As he cried out in anguish, 
my toil has gone in vain, for I have denied my Lord. End quote. So here the author is showing Peter's reaction to his denial of Christ, right? Where he says, you know, Peter was in anguish, one, because his Lord was being crucified, and second, because he knows he had denied him. And then he says at the end that Peter understood that all this hard work that he had done and everything that he put in all of his commitment with Christ is gone in vain because he has denied his Lord. And then the second part says this, Woe is me, he cried in the foyer of the house of Caiaphas, for I have become a stranger to the son whom I denied. He named me rock, but I have become dust. He shall not build the church on dust. I have despised my very self. I remember years ago when the former Cardinal McCarrick, now Theodore McCarrick, who has been laicized, was accused of many diabolical actions that took place throughout his life in the seminary and in the priesthood and in his episcopacy and later as a cardinal, where he would take advantage of seminarians, take them to his beach house in Florida, and a lot of abuse took place when he was a priest, and it continued when he was a bishop, and then when he started to climb the ranks of cardinal, he continued in this very evil and disgusting way of his priesthood. And I remember during that time when that was the breaking news, that's what was trending, that's what was all over the news, especially in the Catholic world. I remember I needed to go shopping, so I went, I needed to get, you know, some protein bars and food, and oh, by the way, yeah, priests do go shopping for food, if if you didn't know that, because I know some people, they get very surprised when they see me in public shopping for essential things that I need, but anyway... Um, so it was very busy. I remember it was over the weekend and I remember walking through that busy store and people, a lot of people were looking at me very weird, right? I was wearing my cleric. I'm, I may have been wearing my cassock, but I'm not sure. But in any case, I did get a lot of weird looks because like I said, Theodore McCarrick was trending during that time. There was a very bad image of the church, of the priesthood, of anything basically that had to do with the church. And I remember as I was leaving to go check out, someone stopped me and they said, hi, can I tell you something? I said, in the back of my head, I said, oh my gosh, please do not flip out on me or cause a scene or what have you, because I've seen some horrendous things happen to priests in public, especially when there's a, a trending scandal in the church. And this man told me, he said, thank you for being brave. Thank you for still wearing your cleric. And he walked away. And I was thinking to myself, I said, at first I said, what does he mean about me being brave? You know, all I did was, you know, come out in public and buy some, some things that I needed. But then I started to understand that I could have easily taken the easy way out of before leaving my car and walking into that store, I could have either tucked in my collar or taken it off and walked in with, we call it civvies, right? Civilian clothes. And no one would 
ever know I was a priest other than, I guess, wearing all black in my beard. But I guess you'd have to guess that. But in any case, people do get very disturbed when scandals happen in the church. And as they should, right? Because the church, whether Catholic or not, whether religious or not, the church is a holy institution. And when you have a holy institution and you have men who are working in this vineyard of Christ and have fallen short of what is expected of them, then it becomes a big disturbance, especially for those who are within the church. And I cannot tell you how many people I've met who have told me, yeah, you know, I grew up Catholic, or yeah, I went to Catholic school, but, and then you get the spiel as to why they're not Catholic anymore. And a lot of it has to do with the scandals that they have either experienced or they've seen or they've seen scandals that have not been handled correctly by superiors, and therefore that is why they left the church. And interestingly enough, I don't know if any of you listeners listen to our Chai Chat episodes that we have, so it's myself and a few of the other priests here in San Diego, we sit down every week, and we have this show that we do, basically, and we have a different topic, but in any case, our last episode, we were talking about the idiom of don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we started to describe to the viewers how what that means is if you have so much ugliness, right, in one place, but you have something like a gem that's within that ugliness, you want to do your best to get rid of all of the ugliness and all of the things that are causing that gem to lose its beauty, but make sure in the process that you don't lose the gem, right? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Get rid of the bathwater, but keep the baby. And that's exactly what's happening here in this Chaldean liturgical text when it says that Peter understood that Christ built his church on rock, right? He changes his name from Simon to Peter, Kepa, you are Kepa. And on this rock, I will build my church. And Peter shows, especially, you know, we see this other side of him here in this liturgical text of him saying he's supposed to be a rock, but he's become of dust and says that he shall not build his church on dust and how he despises his very self. And obviously we see this in the gospel account where we hear that Peter, he cries very bitterly. He begins to weep after denying Christ three times. And you see this also in the church. You see people within the church that have committed scandal, but don't have the same response as Peter. And the best example I could tell you, especially in the Gospels, is Judas. The primary difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter showed repentance after his sin. But Judas did not fully acknowledge or understand the mercy of Christ and how Christ is merciful. But Peter did. Peter did see that. Peter sinned. He denied Christ three times. Sure, people may have witnessed what he did. He may have scandalized people through his denial. But 
he still moved on and he was still faithful to Christ even after that sin because he trusted in the mercy of Christ. And then we see later on in Peter's life where he didn't even see himself as worthy to be crucified in the same way as Christ. That's why he requested to be crucified during his martyrdom. He wanted to be crucified upside down. And when we experience scandal in the church, when we read about it, when we experience it in, in whatever way we do, what, we, what the focal point needs to be of whatever scandal that we hear about or we see or we experience is that within this divine institution, there is, a, there is still the human aspect of it. And human beings still being fallen and have a fallen human nature are inclined to sin. And we see that, right? There are good priests and there are bad priests. That's why I'll always stick to this principle of within the church, there's no such thing as being a mediocre priest or whatever position you do have in the ecclesiastical world. You're either excellent or you're bad. And like I said, when we see this, we need to understand that just because there are some bad apples in the bunch does not disqualify the entire institution. For example, if a math teacher tells their student that one plus one equals three, okay, obviously that's an incorrect formula, but that doesn't mean that all of mathematics is dismissed as a whole. No, it means that that teacher is wrong, is erroneous in their teaching in mathematics. It doesn't completely disqualify mathematics as a whole. And that's the way we need to look at the church, the institution of the church, and whether you've been hurt by it, whether you've seen stuff that hasn't really sat well for you, or whether you've been put in an uncomfortable situation where someone has approached you with this reality of the church. Christ built his church on Peter. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we see how he follows that up by saying, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church has been standing for over 2,000 years. And if there was not, and if it was not a divine institution, it would have fallen within minutes. If we would have left it up to the, the human aspect of it. But Christ and the Holy Spirit are truly working through the church. And that's why we even say that if you're called to the priesthood, it's not, it's not really a compliment. Because the way Christ works is he chooses the weak and he lifts them up as a testament to the people. He chooses a weak and through his grace, through the Holy Spirit, he allows them to have this position where he works through them within the institution of the church. But going back to this Chaldean text, the last paragraph says this, He called me blessed. But when it was revealed by his father, and I told him, you are the Christ, the son of the blessed one, to whom can I plead to intercede with his father? For he will certainly not accept me unless I am with his son. I am at fault forever. End quote. 
the last part of this paragraph is a direct allusion to Matthew 10.33, where Christ says, But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And this is a reality that Peter had to experience, where he did deny Christ before men. And he did need to move on with his life. Because he did end up repenting, turning towards Christ, and continuing on throughout his pontificate. And I want to make something clear, and that is, because I say that there is a human aspect of the church, does not mean, obviously, that that's an excuse for anyone within the church committing scandal. That's not an excuse whatsoever. But what I am saying is that there is a bigger and more global way to look at the church rather than only the ugliness of it. And the more global way to look at the church is that it is being run by the Holy Spirit through apostolic succession and through the grace of God. And that's what we have to trust in within the church. Now, as we approach Holy Week, we remember the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the next episode, I'll be talking mainly about the crucifixion of Christ and what to make out of that. But I hope everyone that's listening understands that the church is in need of healing, but healing isn't derived by gossip and slander. Healing is derived by prayer and trust in God. And without further ado, the lion's den. Breaking news. Pope Francis makes it clear that priests cannot bless same-sex unions. And the whole world is troubled by the statement, which is very odd considering the nature of unions and marriage. And I encourage all of you to read the book, What is Marriage? by Ryan Anderson, who recently had his book, When Harry Became Sally, taken off of Amazon and other places that sell the book because it didn't really sit well with a lot of people. He describes in this book, What is Marriage? Two aspects of looking at marriage. One is the conjugal view of marriage, and the other one is the revisionist view of marriage. And they go on to explain the very nature of marriage and how it is not something that we make up for ourselves, but it is a union, a traditional union between a male and a female. And if this statement by Pope Francis is something that is shocking or doesn't really sit well, then I would encourage you to do more studying and look deeper within this topic and really look at both sides of what they have to say and look at it with an open mind. Because I guarantee you, if you do that with an open mind, you will get to the truth, which is a union must be between a male and a female period for the ultimate goal of procreation. So, 
that is my episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it and see you next time.